You know, Brittany, nothing gives me naked confidence like hitting the gym first thing in the morning. The rush, the endorphins, it just sets the tone for the entire day. Ooh, I like that. Naked confidence. Yeah. It's all about the perfect playlist for me. The right music can uplift my mood instantly. Mm, you know what a close second is for me? What's that? Not stinking. <laughs> That's why I use Lumi Whole Body Deodorant. It's like a secret weapon against odor powered by mandelic acid. Yeah, you're odor-free for up to 72 hours. I love how Lumi tackles every odor concern with natural ingredients, and I appreciate its versatility. I tried it everywhere, from pits to feet. It never disappoints. Plus, it's baking soda-free and pH balanced for safe use. And the fact that it's clinically proven to block odor all day, well, that's a game changer. Definitely. And with Lumi Starter Pack, new customers can get $5 off with code TLC at lumideodorant.com. It's a great deal for a fresh start. Don't miss out on feeling confident everywhere you go. Visit lumideodorant.com and use code TLC for a special discount. That's L-U-M-E deodorant.com. Cheers to confidence with Lumi. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Cheat on your partner with your partner. You and your partner go to a hotel wearing brand new clothes, different makeup. Half the reason you guys aren't having the wild sex that you guys are having is because it's your job to clean up after. <laughs> like go to a hotel and do that and make it somebody else's problem. You're listening to the Laughing Couple Podcast with your host, Brittany and Ryan Ostafi. Join them weekly as they discuss topics such as relationships, kids, sex, parenting, all unfiltered and all with a healthy dose of laughter. Please welcome your hosts, Brittany and Ryan Ostafi. Okie dokie. And here we are. Wow, I've never started a podcast with okie dokie. Okie dokie. Uh, if you're listening to this, it, sh- it should be the first episode in 2023. Welcome to the new year. Yes. We got a we got a wonderful podcast to start the new year off on. Yes, like new you, new year, new you, new, new focus. Love. We have uh, Humble the Poet on today. How are you, Humble? I'm fantastic. Thank you guys so much for having me. Your voice is like very nice. I just want to tell you, it's a very like... I'm learning that. I recently learned the term ASMR. Oh, yeah. You could totally do that. Yeah. And then I looked it up and I was like, okay, this is interesting. So like, do I have to like rub my beard on the microphone? (laughs) (laughs) I was just interested to see how far down the rabbit hole Brittany was about to go with that. But Well, no, I like some people, some people have voices that I could do without. I'm not going to lie. Like I personally Mm. don't like my own voice. Like if Ryan's ever watching any of my social media and I'm in the same room, I'm like, absolutely not. Like put that away. You can turn that off right now. No, thank you. Um, Okay. So Humble, will you do us the pleasure to kind of just introduce yourself, who you're about? We have your like very, we have your bio, but we always like to hear from our guests. How would you... Describe yourself, like let us know, um, like what you're what you're about, and let our audience know who we're they're going to listen to. We're also going to guess that anyone who's listening to this podcast probably already knows who you are. That's true. So it's a good opportunity for you to describe the version of you that you that you want people to hear. Yeah, I, I am from Toronto. I was born and raised in Toronto, and uh, I 
grew up in a house that was heavily focused on education and uh, I loved school so much I didn't leave and I became a school teacher and I was teaching the third grade for a couple of years and uh, once I got into adult life and realized I didn't have homework anymore uh, I, had to, I had to discover what people did after work and uh, you know me and my friends decided we were going to devote our time going into the city to meet girls and <laughs> as you do I, I quickly as you do and, and I quickly realized that I had a knack for 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 performing uh, spoken word poetry. And so I would go to little coffee shops and, and perform with no other no other intention of just using that as an icebreaker to meet girls at these events. And um, that, you know, I spent more time doing that. That took a it, it took a life of its own. And uh, it was around the same time YouTube became a thing. Mm-hmm. I started sharing my work on YouTube and I built a community off of that. Um, and then that translated into music. And then I spent a lot of time making music, hip hop music. I rap and um, that started going really well. So I was teaching and all my kids knew that Mr. Singh swears in his music on YouTube. And <laughs> they, you know, everybody knew that I was doing this on the side and I was happy having my government day job and salary and just making art for fun. And um it kept growing. And then at one point I was uh, offered a songwriting deal that seemed like it was going to pay me more money than I would have made as a teacher for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, of course I'll do this. You know, this is a no brainer. Um, I quit my job and uh, pursued this 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 opportunity. Um, got my first lesson that the whole world is in an elementary school and not everybody's looking out for you. And the entertainment industry is dog eat dog. And the deal fell through and then all of a sudden I was unemployed and swiping credit cards to pay my bills and I was in a gang of debt. And then that's when the the adventure began and uh, I couldn't afford to record music anymore or shoot visuals. And it was a friend of mine that I had just met that same year. Her name is Lily Singh. Some of you guys may know who she is. And at that point, she was explaining to me how everything she made, she did it by herself. She wrote her videos, she directed her videos, she edited her videos, she released them. She told me to focus on something I could do all by myself. And what I told her was I can focus on uh, writing. So every single day I wrote on Facebook and I wrote about everything and anything I could, um, anything I was feeling. And that was my my cheap therapy at the time. And uh, I grew my audience significantly because it was everything was there in black and white um my years as a school teacher had me you know i don't use words bigger than mayonnaise when i when i write that's my rule and i realized if you speak if you communicate to everybody as if they're eight years old you you tap into their inner child and um i took all my first writing and and put a book together called unlearn and uh released it independently uh, and a few years later, I want to say four years later, it got picked up by the book, biggest bookstore in Canada, which is Indigo, the only bookstore in yeah. Canada. <laughs> and uh, they, they picked it up and it became a bestseller. And then from there, I got a lot of attention in the States and then uh, released it in the States and it did even better. And here I am still creating various art, having fun and um, ready to release my third book. And uh, now I'm living in sunny Los Angeles for now uh, as I pursue a whole bunch of other different opportunities, uh, putting words together. That's wild. Such eh? an incredible story. Do you feel like um, like when you quit your job as a teacher, I, I used to teach as well. 
It's super scary because, you know, I mean, I loved teaching, but then leaving the perf, I don't know if I would have like, if something had happened like for you, like you, you quit your job and then your leap of faith, I would call it to do that didn't work out, but that almost was like a huge lesson in itself for you. And like really propelled you on your career. Like, I don't know if that would have went well, do you think your life would have went in a different direction or was that like a huge part of your learning experience to kind of like maybe lean into your other areas? I think it was the most important. Yeah. I think if it went the other way, it would have, it probably wouldn't have worked out. And I also think about what life would have been had I not taken the leap, mm-hmm. you know, and I probably would have had something a little bit more quote unquote safe and secure. Yeah. But my personal growth would have been next to non-existent um, from that capacity. But I think it's really interesting because so often people are afraid to take that leap. I had a false start. Yeah. And then at that point, I was just put in a situation where I was like, okay, I don't know what to do. Um, I had to start from the bottom and figure this all out because I was in a gang of debt. Um, I had no idea how artists earned any money. I had no idea how uh, to do anything. And I had to literally start from zero. And, Mm -hmm. And the first financial decision I made wasn't how to make money. It was how to stop spending it and had to sell all my stuff. And it was a lot of sacrifice. And I realized even when I was teaching, because I would spend the summers off kind of pretending to be the struggling artist. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening was, you know, I would always tell myself, oh, I could never do this. I could never be a full-time artist. This is such a uncomfortable life. And I don't want that. I like my the comfort of my salary. Um, not realizing that it was going to find me anyways. Mm-hmm. And uh, It's weird how it's it like works out like the, that. Yeah. I, the analogy I like using is like leaving the zoo to 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 move into the jungle and when you live in the zoo you're like oh my god i'm in a cage i'm so constrained and then the moment you move into the jungle you're like oh my god that cage was also protecting me from predators Mm -hmm. and you know the trainer isn't here giving me my food every two weeks and you know yeah i'm free to roam around as much as i want but i also have to feed myself and i also have to protect myself so yeah the first couple of years were extremely uncomfortable Mm -hmm. um and i had a lot of doubts and um, I almost went back to my job. I tried to go back to my job. And then at one point, I just made the decision, I am going to die humble the poet, whether that's in three months or 60 years. I will die on but, this uh, hill. <laughs> yeah, I will die on this hill. I don't know when that death will be, but I will die yes. on this hill. And I think once I burnt, burnt all my boats and there was no retreat, there was no plan B, um, that's when my mind was oriented to kind of find all the breadcrumbs mm-hmm. and all the little things that was necessary. And that's really what it is. You have to set set a direction. Mm-hmm. Um, the word sin actually translates into uh, without aim. Oh. And I realized that I wasn't, I didn't have an aim before that. And the second I, I just, I decided an aim um, is less about the universe conspiring for you. And it's more about you starting to notice all the things that you need to pick up on to figure out where you're at. And then it was like meeting artists and instantly being like, how do you pay your bills? Like, Mm -hmm. what do you do? And then having them sit down and like break it down to me. Like, oh, I perform on stage, but then I sell merchandise and then I sell I sell all these different things. Mm -hmm. So say yes to free shows and then sell your stuff afterwards. And then I was like, well, I don't want to sell a $20 T-shirt that's going to get ruined in the wash. What else could I sell for 20 bucks? And I was like, oh, I can do a book. It'll last a lot longer. And that's kind of what started that journey. And um it's been, I mean, even up until today, it's still an educational process. And uh, it's a, 
it really inspires a lot of self-awareness and figuring out who you are and then going easy on yourself. Because as you guys know, the moment you work for yourself, you have the most horrific boss you've ever had. Yes, yes sir. And you have the most, so and, and, yes, and the sir. worst employees you've your ever wife. had. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> it's, it's a challenge. I have no comment on that, but I know working for myself, you know, I'll say things to myself I would never allow anyone else right. to say to me. Yep. And I will accept things for myself that I would never allow anyone else. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I would, I would, I would never allow anybody else to say. So, from that standpoint, it's like, and that doesn't lead to anything productive. Mm -hmm. So you really, it goes back to just having that chat with your eight-year-old inner child, and being like, how do I encourage this individual to, to get to work and make things happen? I think what for me, what's so impressive about your story, um, clearly you are creative. Um, and I would say the, the, the idea that you're able to do poetry and then rap and then write, although they sound like they're the same, they're entirely different. Mm -hmm. Um, and usually what happens when you have someone who's super uber creative in multiple areas is they don't have a direction. They don't know where to go and they jump from X, Y to Z. The idea that you, it feels like your path has been very organic. Like you've allowed your creativity to just be what it is and to be the space that it's in. The idea that you're now, you're, well, cause I want to talk about your book. And I think that's really what we're all, all about here today is your book. But the idea that you've taken something that was originated to pick up women, <laughs> let's be honest, yeah. And, yeah. and turn it into something that became a career and then turn it into something that became a message out to the public that has actually had massive impact in people's lives is remarkable. And many creative people don't get to experience that because of the fact that they don't have a target. Um, how did you transition that smoothly without like cabotaging the other stuff? It was not smooth. I mean, it still isn't smooth. Um, I think I just embraced a little bit of the chaos. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we all need uh, one foot in chaos, one foot in comfort. And I think for me, um, a lot of it in the beginning was extremely, I think in the, in, in, in the early days, I was writing about stuff I cared about. I had, I had the student mindset of like, oh, I learned something new. I want to be able to share this. And, you know, even though I was, I was performing to impress the girls, the things that I was performing were things that were actually authentic and deep to my heart. And I, and I performed a lot of content around social activism, which is something that's extremely important to me. I think when I quit my job and I realized the opportunities that I quit my job for didn't exist, then I became single focused on money and I needed money. So I said yes to any opportunity in any capacity. Do I have to write a jingle for a chocolate bar company? Let's do it. Do I have to, uh, you know, do a performance for a film? Let's do it. Everything was a yes. Um, and then you start to realize like what you can do. And, 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 you know, the, the quote is there's art that feeds your soul and there's art that feeds your family. And then sometimes they're not the same thing. So I think understanding a lot of that was there. Um, I think the moment I graduated from becoming a starving artist, um, the moment where I didn't have to just say yes to every little thing because there was a paycheck attached to it is when I got a little bit more existential. And I was like, well, who am I? What do I need to be? What do I need to do? And that big question had me exploring what is the hardest thing I can do with enthusiasm? You know, because now it's like, oh, I don't have to do things. So and can, you I, repeat, and I can you repeat that? What is the hardest thing I can do with enthusiasm? Love that. Because we we don't need 
we should not chase easy. We should not chase comfort. We should not chase any of that. We should lean into uncomfortable situations. And the thing too is that doesn't mean misery. You know, a, an easy day at the gym isn't a good day at the gym. You know, we have to be uncomfortable at the gym for us to make any progress. Um, if you play video games, if the video game was easy, you'd probably ask for your money back. You know, you want challenges. You want you want there to be resistance. Yeah. So I think for me, as when things got better and I started pursuing different opportunities still, um, the second I hit a roadblock, I'd be like, eh, I don't want to do this. And I'm like, oh, okay, you're not in survival mode no more. So these aren't things you actually authentically want to do. What are the things that you would do forever, no matter how hard it is, no matter how much it chips away at you physically, mentally, or spiritually? And I think that's what I've been leaning towards uh, recently. And the big thing is recognizing as a, as a young man, especially a, a child of an immigrant household where survival was priority and maybe emotional support wasn't at the forefront. I started recognizing, and I also grew up in a really challenging neighborhood. I recognized that a lot of the armor and fortresses that I had built for myself um, turned into prisons mm. that disconnected me from other people. Um, so the process of how do I shed that? How do I shed that? How do I, cause I can't, you can't connect with people if you're not vulnerable, but you have all these walls up and you were taught that vulnerability is a weakness and, or you were, you were signaled that vulnerability is a weakness. Cause when you were vulnerable in your own household, you know, you didn't get the response that mm -hmm. you thought, you know, your young child mind taught you like, don't be weak. Yep. Don't do any of this. And, and I still experienced this, um, in my family, my, my mom just had a negative situation that she revealed yesterday to my sister. Um, and she, she didn't tell anybody for a month. And because in her head, she thinks she, she'll be a burden. Mm. And that, that I realized that was the culture in my house, which was only reach out to your family for help if, if it's an emergency. Right. We all had emergency coverage, mm -hmm. you know, like I had to have been in a car accident or needed money to reach out to my family. But what about the small things? Yeah. I never asked my family for help on my homework. I never went to my sisters if I had a crush. Mm -hmm. I never did any of these things. And you realize that those small moments of vulnerability are what will establish a deeper connection. Guys, have you tried the new wellness shots from Good Vibes Juice? We have, and they're amazing. Perfect for boosting immunity and feeling great. Good Vibes Juice makes all natural wellness shots with ingredients that support your immune system. And they honestly taste good. Plus, they're great to have before you feel sick or even to help you recover faster. It's like having Granny's homemade remedy, but conveniently pre-made. They have three different shots to choose from, Sick Day, Get Well, and Turmeric Daily. The Sick Day shot has echinacea and ginger, known for fighting off colds and boosting immunity. The Get Well shots feature elderberry, a superfood ingredient that helps increase immunity, and the Turmeric Daily has turmeric and chamomile. My personal favorite is the Turmeric Daily. It has turmeric and chamomile, which for me, having recently turned 40, is great for anti-inflammatory and calming properties. What's great is that these shots are all natural with no preservatives or additives. You can take them as a shot or mix them with hot water for a soothing tea. And here's the best part. Visit goodvibeswithansjuice.com and use promo code TLC to get free shipping and 20% off your first order. That's www.goodvibesjuice.com with promo code TLC. Let's boost our immunity and feel great with Good Vibes Juice. Shout out to Claritin for providing samples and sponsoring this episode. Full disclosure, I was listening to you talk the other day and I was thinking to myself, why does he sound that way? And then I remembered that it's allergy season and that's just your voice because you're so stuffed up. Ah, uh, yes, the old allergy congested accent. 
Luckily for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Claritin D's fast symptom relief starts working on allergies with nasal congestion in as little as 30 minutes. Oh, perfect. So I won't have to listen to you speak like this for the next few weeks? What? You're not into it? It's not uh, not endearing? No comment. Designed for serious allergy sufferers like Ryan. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieves your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. Claritin D tackles nasal congestion caused by allergies or a cold and also relieves sinus congestion and pressure due to allergies. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. So convenient. Just ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. And remember, only use as directed. Hey, Ryan. Yes? You stink. Um, okay. I stink too, don't worry. Everyone actually stinks, and it's normal to have body odor, just in case you needed a reminder. Okay, thank you for that. But the best part is, you don't have to stink. (laughs) Just try Lumi whole body deodorant. You're right. And Lumi's powered by mandelic acid, tackling odor for 72 hours from pits, to feet, even private areas. It's incredible. Over 300,000 five-star reviews, and you can literally use it everywhere. And the scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, or my personal favorite, toasted coconut, make it refreshing. Plus, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with code TLC at lumideodorant.com. And if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack, that's over 40% off. Stay confident from head to toe with Lumi. Try it with code TLC at lumideodorant.com. That's code TLC at L-U-M-E-D-O-D-O-R-A-N-T dot com. Stay fresh, everyone. With you and, and anybody else in your life. And, and, and so that's one of the big things I realized. And that's what motivated the book. Because I had a relationship that didn't work. I, I, had a, I had a relationship of a couple of years that ended over the pandemic. And I was desperate to figure out how I failed in the world of love. And that journey helped me establish a deeper understanding of what love is and what love isn't. Um, and that my biggest issue wasn't that I couldn't, quote unquote, find love. It's just I wasn't able to receive it, mm-hmm. you know, and started questioning where did that culture come from? Why do we think love is something that we have to find or earn? or win mm-hmm. or qualify for. And even now, even in the positive, people use words like you are worthy of love, you are enough of love. But like, how do you measure a person in terms of worthiness or enoughness? Mm. You know, you can't not be enough of a person. I can take off an arm and I'm still enough of a person, you know? Um, and even this idea of worthiness, you start to realize, okay, we live in a culture that needs to make us buy stuff to be happy. So they need to make us feel like we're not adequate as we are. And when I started to think about my relationships with people that I actually loved, you know, people in my family, my friends, I could I could write a whole book on their flaws and their imperfections. None of that disqualifies them from my love. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you guys, you guys are parents. You guys were full of love the moment you met your child. And they're and full of shit that I don't like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, my, my sister says that my sister, I have, I have two sisters and they, now, now their kids are teenagers. And their analogy is they will shit on you forever, just in different ways. Mm-hmm. And your job is just to keep them alive, love them and keep them alive. Yeah. And just the shit is, you know, the, the baby shit is different than the teenage shit. And it's all shit. But the love, the love is, yeah. <laughs> but the love 
is still there and love doesn't require a lot of the things that we think it doesn't require low body fat doesn't require uh, a certain number of followers doesn't require status doesn't require fame and i think these were the things i started to realize that love always exists and if i'm not experiencing love it's something on my end uh, and the analogy that i use in the book is love is the breeze and the work that we have to do is not to find the breeze it's to open our sail mm. and that work is internal that works not it. external so like for us, the reason that we wanted to get you on the podcast as quickly as we could to get you in before the new year well, is after, well, it is, this is the first episode of 2023. And the reason that we wanted it to be the first episode of 2023 is because we, the timing for this conversation is perfect. Brittany and I are looking at our lives and we're looking at our marriage and we're looking at our relationship and we're starting to recognize that. Do we love each other? Yes. Are we in love with each other? Yes. Is that enough? Mm-hmm. Right? Is that enough to make the whole thing work? Hold on one second. Our uh, our son just came in who's sick. And we have literally never, ever, ever had our kids home when we're podcasting. And we will never <laughs> do it again. For this exact reason. <laughs> and we will never do it again. But what we're, what we're recognizing is there, were, there are a lot of people, and I would say predominantly the people who are listening to this podcast, it being a couple's podcast, are in a relationship and have been in this relationship pre and post pandemic. <laughs> right. There yeah. are a lot of people who entered a relationship pre pandemic that did not survive the pandemic. And what we're starting to recognize with ourselves and with the people that we talk to is, yay, we made it through the pandemic. But what have we lost inside that pandemic? And it's that love mm. conversation. We're, we're focusing 2023 on us. Reconnection. Mm. Our business is where it needs to be. Our kids are where it needs to be. Everything, check, 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 check. We did all of the right things during the pandemic. We stopped focusing on us. We stopped making yeah. like the connection. Like we, we stopped dating essentially. Like that's what we yeah. have to get back to. So I guess what maybe Ryan's trying to say in your book, are there maybe like one to two, three, if you're feeling generous things that you could maybe share with our community that can really help them like focus on love again and how to reconnect not only to yourself, but to your partner. Well, your book is perfectly titled by the way. Yeah. Thank you. It's Thank perfectly you. titled. I love how you um, separate the D. Yeah, it's yeah. Actually, yeah. This is to talk about on that. This is actually created by a famous artist out here in L.A., uh, Ruben Rojas, and he 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 plasters the city with the word love. So this is actually his mm. his uh, his logo, and uh, he was kind enough to to create this for me. And yeah, what and, and once you open the book, you'll see it says you know more than showing you uh, more than showing you how to be loved. I want to show you how to be loved. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think that's probably the first. Uh, kind of insight I would share with any couples listening is view love as a verb. Don't view love as a, as a thing. Mm. You know, it's not, love is not something you win. Love is something that you do, mm-hmm. you know, love is an action. Um, and another big quote that I, I really love that I think has, has really resonated with me is love is fuel, not glue. Mm-hmm. So when people say, is love enough? Is loving somebody enough? Love is, a, love is enough to get you working. But you have to acknowledge the work. So, you know, we, we always say labor of love. I, I would want to flip that to labor to love. Mm. You know, it's a labor to love. And your love for somebody should be the fuel to keep you working at it. Mm-hmm. Just being in love with somebody isn't enough for you guys to stick together. That's what I'm saying. It's not glue. It's enough for you guys to figure out what work needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And from a pragmatic standpoint, you know, there's a couple of really interesting kind of ideas that I explore in this book um, in the love for others section. And this doesn't just relate to romantic relationships. It relates to 
all relationships that we have um, with other people. Um, one of them is the idea of we have this urge to share our world with somebody like, oh, I met somebody new. I want them to hear my favorite song, watch my favorite movie, mm-hmm. uh, you know, learn everything there is to, to be about me. Let's do the opposite. Let's let's actively and enthusiastically dive into their world. What is your favorite movie? What is your favorite book? What is your favorite meal? What are your favorite things? I want to explore your stuff. I think that's really important. Um, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of this this world of love languages. I think that doesn't encourage uh, as much service as people think. I think everybody's love language is to be seen and understood. Mm-hmm. Now, as you've seen and understood through physical touch, cool, through gifts, is at the end of the day, it's being feeling seen and understood. It's just one level lower on the umbrella and they just created specific terms for it. Mm-hmm. So I think the important thing is diving into somebody else's world, you know, meeting them at their eye level, whatever that means, um, you know, for your child, that means getting down on your knees and looking them in the eyes when you speak to them, letting them understand that you, 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 you hear them attunement. Attunement is a level above empathy. Empathy is kind of walking in somebody's shoes. Attunement, which is something that really good therapists do, um, is being able to successfully communicate to somebody that you're in their skin. You know what they're feeling, how they feel. Yeah, recreate uh, them. Mm-hmm. Recreate them. I think as 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 men specifically, what I learned was, you know, you know this culture of like men like to solve. You know, mm-hmm. somebody comes to to a man with a problem to solve. So what I realized is that's not. It's not about solving. It's about shutting the other person up. So what happens is this, as a man, when I was in a relationship and when, when my partner came to share their pain with me, I wanted to quickly either solve their problem um, or tell them that somebody else had it worse or tell them that that's not even a problem. And what I learned uh, through my work and research with this is really what was happening was they were triggering my pain hmm. and I didn't want to feel my pain. And so I wanted to shut them up in any way I could. And empathy, you know, and it took me a lot of medicine journeys and, and research and, and, and just vulnerability to learn this. Empathy is feeling that pain and just being like, let's be in pain together. Mm-hmm. You know, let, let's just hold each other in that pain and not deny this pain. Um, and I think that goes back to helping a person feel seen and heard. Solving somebody's problem doesn't make them feel seen and heard. And I think that's been a, a challenge because I think culturally a lot of men weren't raised that way. Mm-hmm. We were raised not to feel or to, to, to feel like that there's a, there's a weakness when it comes to that. And I think the important part of that, and that's why the, the, uh, the subtitle of this book is, you know, going easier on yourself. There is a, there is a, there's something called the emotion wheel of what humans feel. The only positive emotions on the emotion wheel are happiness and potentially surprise. And that can go both ways. The rest of the emotions on the emotion wheel would be considered negative because negative emotions are what kept us alive. You know, our, our for hundreds of generations and tens of thousands of years, our priority was survival. And most of the qualities that we have are based around survival. But now we view a lot of those emotions that kept us alive as, as things that we don't want to feel. We want to feel joy, but we don't want to feel sadness. But at the end of the day, it's either you feel your emotions or you don't feel your emotions. You don't get to be selective with them. So it's really important that if the person that you are in a relationship with is feeling pain, the priority should be to let them know that you feel what they feel and you're there too. And just sit with it together. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite definition of love is in the Val Ravikant definition is love is what exists when all other emotions have passed. Hmm. 
You know, love isn't something separate. Love isn't something that you gain. Love is the baseline. Love is the screen that this movie is playing on. Someone's at the front door. Literally. They can chill. Um, I really like what you said because we often talk about like specifically with a male. Ryan is like so quick to, he's better now, but like to want to solve something. So we have to have these like pre-conversations that's like, hey, right. I have a a problem or something's going on at work or whatever. And he goes, okay, do you want me to just like sit in this emotion with you or do you need a solution? Like we have to have these pre-conversations. Otherwise, if he meets me at fact and resolving and I need him to meet me at emotion, then we like, we have an issue. Right. But like you said, men are just specific, not all men, but most men are specifically trying to solve. Like, that's like, okay, well, how can I fix this for you? Where I'm like, I don't need you to fix this. I just need you to, to, to empathize and meet me there like emotionally. And that's huge in a relationship. Yeah, And that's why I changed it. And I don't, cause I, I think what we end up doing is we romanticize some of these, uh, outdated outdated ways that we have so instead of saying men are solution oriented Mm -hmm. what i want to say is men are just trying to shut down the emotion Mm. yeah the solution is to shut down the emotion i'm so triggered by this and i love being triggered yeah because when something triggers me it gets me to recognize that i'm resisting it and there's a reason i'm resisting it and when I'm listening to you, I don't know if you can see my body language. I'm I'm literally working through thought and emotion. And you are so right. When I really think about it, I'm not toxic positivity. I'm not that guy. <laughs> but I do not like dwelling in problems for long. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's and I and I look at it and I say, okay, I can put fancy words around it as I solve problems. I'm a solve a problem solver. But what I actually I'm am, a solver. what I actually am, if I think about it, listening to what you're saying and how you're communicating it, I'm actually avoiding my feelings. Yeah. I'm a, I'm avoiding yeah. the experience that's occurring. It's not that I'm fixing it; it's that I'm avoiding it mm-hmm. because I don't like being brought down a rabbit hole of negative emotion. For me my brain works very business-like. If it can't be traced and tracked, it can't be managed. And emotions can't be managed. So I eliminate emotion to get to a solution, to get to an outcome. And when I recognize what I'm doing, I'm doing my wife an entirely disservice. I'm not really truly invested in her. And it sucks to say this, but I'm invested in moving on. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, what can we do to get this done? I think that level of awareness, that doesn't suck to say. Mm -hmm. There are people that will go their entire life without that level of awareness. And I think that's the important part Mm -hmm. right there. As I said, we have, as you said, like, you you know, my brain works. We've been socialized. Like, I, I, you know, um, the teachers, as the teachers we know, like, children are almost empty vessels and they were taught yeah we do have we do have a nurture and a nature um and they work together and as as i said i was raised in the same capacity where it's you know you don't you view the 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 discomfort of emotion as something that needs to immediately get suppressed and stepped on you know but there's value It's, it's, it's no different than being at the gym and, 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 and doing an exercise and feeling uncomfortable after doing a hundred, a uh, hundred crunches or something. And, and you appreciate the burn, the burn of emotion is the same thing. Your emotions are trying to tell you something. Mental health issues aren't 
the negative emotions. Mental health issues come from the suppression of the emotions. Mm-hmm. Anxiety isn't your enemy. Anxiety is the alarm. Right. Hitting snooze is the mental health issue. Mm-hmm. Hitting snooze is the enemy. And it's the same thing in this. And as I said, I can openly admit as a, as a male, I didn't come to this realization through a meditation. I came to this realization through medicine. Mm-hmm. I did a medicine journey that took my walls and kicked them all down. And for the first time, I felt completely naked and vulnerable emotionally. And that had an impact on me for months where I could feel everything from everybody all the time. And again, life came and built those walls back up. But the moment I was able to have that experience, we're like, whoa, okay, I finally understand what empathy means. I had no idea as an adult what empathy actually meant. I thought it just meant, oh, man, I'm sorry that you're going through this. Mm -hmm. And now you can still be solution oriented, but you can just be like, hey, I'm sorry this is happening. What can I do? Yeah. What what would you like right now? Because I also think, you know, telling your partner, hey, let's eat some ice cream and be sad about it. It's still a solution. Mm -hmm. Just being like, hey, what can we do about it? You know, and you can still share your opinions. Hey, maybe, you know, we can. I think that these might be some of the causes. But at the end of the day, our our relationships with other people are still a, a mirror of our relationship with ourselves. And if we're denying that, as I said, we as men specifically deny these emotions because we, we view them as weakness when they're not. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we may have different chemical makeups. We may experience them different. But I do have an entire chapter in this book called Love is Sitting with Your Pain. Mm-hmm. And instead of suppressing it and solving it, express it, journal it, speak it out, draw it, mm-hmm. dance it, do something. And sitting with our pain will, be, will make it easier. Because the other thing too is, the only currency to create connection is vulnerability. Hmm. And if we're denying ourselves pain, then we can't, we're denying ourselves vulnerability, which is denying ourselves connection. Hmm. And then we can be lonely in a crowded room. It won't matter. It's true. And one of the things that I had to learn, especially going through therapy, was how can you be vulnerable to a stranger without scaring them away? So then my, my therapist had me dig deep and find versions of vulnerable stories that I could share with somebody I just met without scaring them away. Mm -hmm. So the two stories that I have are uh, my first dog, my experience having my first dog and losing my dog after 11 years and how that impacted me. That's not something that would scare somebody away if I told them that story at a dinner party after meeting them for five minutes. And then, you know, she goes, okay, let's go deeper. What's something else maybe after you know somebody for an hour that you'd be comfortable sharing? And then I thought about some of my experiences around racism. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, here are some of the things I could talk about and how that's impacted my decisions as an adult the stuff that I experienced as a child. Mm -hmm. She's like, this is how you create connection. And what I realized too, and going back to my original story about when I was an artist and when I went, you know, when I, when my opportunity fell through, I remember telling friends about me struggling financially, so afraid of their judgment. Mm -hmm. And every single person I was vulnerable to did not judge me. Instead, took that as an opportunity to be vulnerable with me. Mm And was like, okay, you know what? You made it a safe space for me to tell you about my financial issues or the things that I'm struggling with. And I think that's what we need to understand now is opening these doors in our relationships with each other. And it's challenging. Mm -hmm. And as I said, it's and it's meant to be challenging because if it was easy, it wouldn't be worth it. So I think from that standpoint, creating that, um, I think, is important. I also have a list from the book um, from that same chapter about the type of work that we can also do just the headlines. Mm -hmm. Um, share experiences. I think we can all have a bunch of favorite stuff, 
creating brand new experiences with your partner that are experiences that only you and them have had. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the reason we have puppy love, teenage love is because you've experienced so many firsts together. True. You know, what what do you do when you're in your 30s and your 40s? Have some more firsts. When's the, when's the last time you did something for the first time? Have that with your partner. Now that's your, not as special for you and them. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. Um, I like that. Me too. Don't test each other. That's a big one. Don't test each other. Mm. Don't test each other. Okay. You know, don't, don't, don't leave out the garbage to see if they recognize that the garbage is not mm-hmm. there and, and, and pick it up. Don't, don't play those games. Again, you have to be on the same team. Yeah. Um, you have to be on the same team. Um, valuing each other. Uh, the quote that I have here is trying to change our partner and manipulate them into being something they're not will block pathways of love. You know, the only potential we are allowed to fall in love with is our own. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing we can have unconditional love for is ourselves. We, and this is important as well for the new years, instead of having expectations, let's have standards and boundaries and intentions. Mm. Um, the challenge with expectations is you putting them on other people. When you have standards, they're about you. When you have boundaries, they're about you. Um, set intentions and everything has to be a conversation and everything has to be an intention. Um, and I don't want to sound too new ages, but this can be everything from monogamy to how the family is run to how the bills are paid. Hey, here's where, here's the direction we should head. Mm -hmm. We should head in a direction where we're exclusive. We should head in a direction where we are completely transparent with our finances. We should head in a direction where we have a clear definition of what is a made bed. What are the rules at the dinner table? Um, what is, how often are we going to have a date night? I think also it's really important to abandon some of the old ideas in terms of what relationships are. Ross and Rachel are not a healthy version of a relationship. <laughs> so true. <laughs> healthy relationships are not eventful and they're not entertaining. They're peaceful. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to make for good movies. Seeing somebody at peace for a movie would be a boring movie. Mm-hmm. Seeing a relationship at peace is not is going to be a great relationship, but it's not going to make for great television. Every couple you see in a movie or on television is an unhealthy relationship. It's people with unhealthy attachment issues. It's generally a cat and mouse game. This should not be your basis for what you want a relationship to be. There's also science behind the idea of the spark. Don't rely on a spark. Sparks are actually warning signs to run the other way. And most likely the person that you're meeting is uh, re-triggering a trauma and matching a flavor of trauma that you've previously had, which explains our, our mommy and daddy issues. Um, there was a study done with 1,100 couples that have been together for more than 10 years. Less than 8% of them uh, ever reported having a spark. Wow. Don't rely on a spark. That's a spark so is, is, is a warning sign that goes the other way. Again, these are exciting feelings that are validating mm-hmm. this kind of like fast food, delicious feelings. Um, but love is peace. Mm-hmm. Love isn't having everything. Love is not wanting anything. I like the, I, is- I like the idea of, of saying like no spark, but like, you're right. Love is very peaceful and it, and it is fuel. But I think that within the relationship, like you can have exciting moments in your relationship, but the baseline is peace. The baseline is like, predictability yeah or comfort or whatever and then you it's up to you to work on like let's do something exciting let's like make those like you said new experiences together that's that's very interesting that's creating those versus finding them Mm -hmm. Uh, very often people are looking for some sort of spark Mm -hmm. and i think as, as i said many of us were raised by imperfect individuals but they were our role models for love Mm -hmm. and that spark is generally when we are 
reminded of that, you know, and the thing too with, with that is when we were children, we had simplistic minds and still developing brains and we looked at the world in black and white. So, you know, for example, I have a story in here of me being a child throwing up and in the middle of the night and I threw up in the kitchen, sorry, I threw up in the bathroom sink and my mother got upset with me for throwing up in the wrong space. As an adult looking back, she was working the night shift. I woke her up. She was not at her Mm -hmm. best place. But as a child, I internalized that. Don't be vulnerable. Don't be weak. Don't throw up in the wrong place. She wasn't there for me. Again, my mother now is retired. She is a grandmother, unrecognizable Mm -hmm. from the woman who raised me. But it's because the context has changed. She doesn't have to go to work. She's not in survival mode anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's really important for us to understand because for a long time, I thought, okay, I have to earn someone's love. I will only find women who who treat me like that attractive. Mm -hmm. Because if a woman makes it easy, it's no longer attractive to me. And it's really interesting that we have to create that awareness and pick up on our patterns. Because if we don't pick up on those patterns, then we're going to be doomed to repeat them over and over again. And that's a really important thing that we have to understand. This always starts with our relationship with ourselves. I I find it interesting because... When I hear you talk about love and it not being the Ross and Rachel of it all, and I look at a lot of marriages, the marriages are actually, they're working. They're working very effectively because they're almost boring. Um, And when you describe it the way you describe it, it doesn't have this fire. It doesn't have this fuel. It doesn't have this like, to your words, spark. But when I really think about my relationship with my wife, when we had the spark, we had toxicity. Mm. When we got mm. rid of the spark, we we had a family. We, we had, had, a, we had stability. Yeah. It was safe. We could be open. We could be vulnerable. We could have these conversations that are meaningful. I think there's this fine line balance. It's like you say love is not the glue. It's the fuel of your relationship. I get that. And then it's like, but where do you lose the passion? Where do you lose the creativity? Where do you find that stuff? So I guess, I guess the great analogy you can use also is, you know, for example, your child. So for example, you know, children need to feel safe to take risks. So it almost sounds counterintuitive, but it's like, if they know you're in the room, just knowing you're in the room will allow them to maybe take a bigger risk. Mm -hmm. And I think it can be the same thing for the relationship where it's establish your safety, establish your routine, establish your foundation. And now from within that, you take a risk. And I think what ends up happening is the toxicity is when both feet are in chaos, when, you know, both from both feet are in completely the unknown and what have you versus when one foot is in what you know, one foot isn't in what you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and a great example of this is a, there's a, a clinical psychologist and he was talking about relationships. And one of the beautiful things that he said was, um, Cheat on your partner with your partner. So he goes, you know, go, go, you and your partner go to a hotel wearing brand new clothes, different makeup, uh, different setup. And, you know, half the reason you guys aren't having the wild sex that you guys are having is because it's your job to clean up after. Like, go to a hotel and do that and make it somebody else's problem. We've talked that about that. Fact. Yeah, yeah. We definitely yeah. talked about That's that. That's why you have sex that. in a bedroom because the bed's going to get yeah, made anyways. That, yeah. So it's, and it's creating that passion and also a lack of that lack of, uh, you know, uh, safety within a safe space, mm-hmm. you know, and as I said, it, it's doing it in, in that manner through communication. And that's, again, that's one of this in the same love is fuel, not glue sections. The last one is sex, sex, sex. 
And I love uh, Tom and Lisa Bilyeu's kind of rule uh, around sex, which is no, no one will ever be shamed for asking for it. No one will ever be shamed for denying it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just having this, this open dialogue and things, um, open dialogue and communication. And it's a challenge because I do believe, as I said, I'm, I'm pushing this all back to our relationship with ourselves. Um, oftentimes we're outsourcing our loneliness to our relationships. You know, and we, we have these ideas of you complete me. We, we call our partner our better half. We have to abandon these old ideas. No one can complete you because you are there's no complete or incomplete as a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're definitely not half of a person. The better way to look at it is I am a pillar and I'm looking for another pillar because when we have two pillars, we can hold something up together. Mm-hmm. We can hold something up that's more important than us. For you as a married couple, the, mo- the more important thing is the unit, the family what you guys are building that can only be done with pillars Mm -hmm. and celebrating each other's separateness. You know, there's got to be date night, but there's also got to be separate night. There's got to be boys night. There's got to be girls night. Um, you know, I got, I have a, you know, I have a, I have a gang of childhood friends. Um, you know, and some of them are in great relationships. Some of them are definitely not. And you can tell because I'm the single guy when I was living in Toronto, I was living in the city. And, you know, and I had the, the bachelor pad and you can tell based on their behavior when they came to visit me mm-hmm. once a month, which, you know, because some of them it was like, you know, some, some of them were let out of the cage and now they're completely overcompensating. Right. And it was uh, and even I was like, whoa, like, you know, calm down. And where <laughs> other ones were able to, you know, you could tell that they were allowed outside the house yeah. more than once a once a year and they didn't have to didn't have to do this. And, and the joke amongst my friends is, you know. When you're little kids getting your permission form signed to go on the uh, uh, field trip, you know, that was the same thing. Like, everybody get your permission form signed. We want to go to Amsterdam for a trip. We want to do whatever. But honoring each other's separateness is so important because that's the only way you can have two pillars. Mm -hmm. And the more space between the pillars, the more you can hold up. And I think that's a really important thing as well. And again, a lot of this has to do start with yourself, because if you don't have a healthy relationship with yourself, it is going to be impossible to have a healthy relationship with anybody else that's beautiful Which com- yeah comes about- oh, sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say if um because we're running out of time here can you when what day is your book are we living in the universe where your book is already released i'm trying to like think yes back. my book my book was released on december 27th okay perfect so where yeah. can people get your book and then can you just also link your socials for everybody so they can follow along your journey Yes. So the book is called How to Be Loved by Humble, the poet. It is available everywhere books are available, um, obviously on Amazon, uh, Indigo in Canada, Waterstones in the UK, um, everywhere books are available. I also, with my ASMR voice for the audio, um, the, the book also contains, I, the book has three sections. The, the first section is What the Fuck is Love? The second section is love for self, which is the biggest section of this book. And then the final section is love for others, which I think your audiences will connect with Mm -hmm. a lot, which has to do with our relationship with other people. I bookended each section with love stories and every love story um, is a non-traditional love story. So I'm challenging the Ross and Rachel's, the Bobby and Whitney's or the Romeo and Juliet's of the world with what I believe are actual love stories. Um, And um one of the love stories I just want to share is is one involving a, a woman I was trying to see who wasn't giving me enough time, you know, pre-planning dates two weeks ahead, canceling the day before or what have you. And in a conversation with them, they, they explained, you know, that they were a very strong empath and that it required them a lot of energy to be around people. And, you know, out of frustration, I was like, well, aren't you lonely? Like, don't you get lonely? Like, what are you going to do? Like, you, aren't, like when you feel lonely mm-hmm. and 
And she said, I do feel lonely. And I'm like, so, you know, like meet up with me. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, when I'm lonely, I dance. Hmm. And I'm like, what do you mean you dance? She goes, I dance. She goes, I, I connect with myself. I connect with my body. I, I, I close all my blinds and I dance in my apartment. And you, you realize it's like the antidote to loneliness isn't being around people. Mm. you know, Because loneliness is a punishment for being alone. Solitude is a reward for being alone. Ooh, so nice. loneliness isn't a circumstance, it's a feeling. The antidote to loneliness is connection. You can be in a room full of people and still feel lonely if you have no connection with them. You can not enjoy your own company if you're not connected with yourself. So the reason I told that story is because dancing is a way to fall in love with yourself, to become more connected with yourself. Mm -hmm. and, and these are the type of love stories I have. And, and the other reason that's important is in the audio form, because some of these love stories are extremely emotional and they have to do with me. Um, I get extremely emotional in them. So if you want an, an emotional version of this book, definitely get the audio on Audible. Um, and you can hear my ASMR voice. And maybe the beard scratching on the, on the microphone. You can definitely hear the beard scratching. <laughs> I love you can it. Hear the tears. You can literally hear the tears soaking up, the tears being soaked up by my beard. Authentic. But, um, yeah, so How to Be Loved is available everywhere. Books are available in all formats. And my socials, at uh, Humble the Poet, everywhere, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Perfect. I'm, um, I'm curious. I'm curious, Humble. When you read the cover, it's How to Be Loved but it's written how to be love. Ish. Yeah. Do you ever look at that cover and like, is that cover different for each person who's reading it? It is. And, and, and when you see that, especially when I've been doing interviews, people have been kind of struggling to read it. Um, it was inspired by a friend who said, you know, he, he, he works in this space, especially with relationships and he makes, you know, video content, uh, giving people advice. And what he said to me was, if I made a video about self-love, I have to call it why he won't text back. Otherwise, no one's going to watch it. <gasps> and uh, I realized that, you know, if I said how to be love, this book is about how to be love. Yeah. How to recognize yourself as a source of love. If I put that on the cover, I don't think people will be as interested as, a, as if I wrote a book called how to be loved, mm -hmm. how to find love. So I'm trying to meet people where they're at. I like that. Um, which is that's, why yeah, I was, that's exactly that why belief. I was asking the question. So you answered it perfectly. Thank yeah. you so much you. for uh, taking the time to talk to us today. It's been of course. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Unbelievable job, and your um, the idea that you can take your creativity and spread it out to the world is uh, it's admirable. Mm -hmm. So thank you very I, much. I, I think it's important for all of us, including the work that you guys are doing. It's important for us to share our stories. Like this is what we've been doing for like sixty thousand years, mm -hmm. drawing our story on caves. You know, for no other purpose of helping other people figure out their story. Mm -hmm. So I think everybody, your story matters. You don't need to have a certain qualification to share your story and you can share your story in any capacity. It doesn't have to be a book. It could be a song. Mm -hmm. It could be a sculpture. It could be designing furniture. It could be anything. Just to share your story because everything you see on this planet came from somebody's head and it was their story. It's true. Unreal. Those were nice words. It's like you're a poet or something. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great day. Humble, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I'm Emily Beerley. And I'm Jennifer Chaikin. And we're licensed marriage and family therapists, owners of the therapy group, and hosts of the Shrink Chicks podcast. 
Every week, we bring you a new episode where we dive into therapeutic topics like inner child work, dating anxiety, family dynamics, relationships, and burnout. Making them more relatable and understandable, leaving the psycho babble behind. We address the things you've been dying to ask your therapist but don't know how. And work to help you stop shooting all over yourself with the expectations society can put on us. Tune in every Monday to Shrink Chicks on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to follow along and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Prepare to learn all about you because in order to grow yourself, you got to know yourself. Hey.